Okay, I'm going to read from God's Word. So Matthew chapter 1, uh, starting from verse 1. Uh, it'll be up behind me here. Uh, it's a rather long passage. I'm up here because there's a bunch of names in there that are really hard to pronounce. I'll probably mess them up. You can ask Bob if I got them right later. Uh, so join me as I read from God's Word. So Matthew chapter 1. This is a genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eliza, Eliza, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, 
and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Thank you, Bob. Shalom, everyone. You want to make a nice Jewish boy feel at home, you got to do better than that. Shalom. Shalom. Yeah, much better. I'll speak in English. Uh, tonight, we're going to unpack some of that scripture. There is so much in there. And I don't know what you do when you come upon a list, a long list of names that aren't names of friends of yours. I don't know what you generally do, but if you want to honestly admit that you've never read that before, just raise your hand. Yeah, there you go, thank you. And uh, this, is, this is one of those things that I want to trigger in you tonight, is that you'll not only read those names, but look up those names and find out the backstory. Who are these Nachshon and Salmon and Boaz? Who are those people? And why are they in this list? Now, what you've got to know is that Matthew is one serious rule breaker here because women are not listed in Jewish genealogies. Why would you ever have a woman in a genealogy? Abraham beget Isaac. Thank you, Sarah. Isaac beget Jacob. Where's Rebecca? You with me? Men have children in Judaism. I do know that it takes two to tango. I've got three adult children. I've got five grandchildren. I know how that works. But men have children genealogically. So as we study the genealogy of Yeshua, of Jesus, the genealogy We've got to ask the question, why are women listed at all? And particularly these five mothers who are listed in this text. If you, when you read long lists, that's, those ought to be your questions. Wait a minute. Why did Matthew record it and not Luke or John or Paul? If it's so important, why aren't these people written about elsewhere? Hmm. That's how I read the Bible. That's how I study. I look for anomalies and say, come on, something's wrong here. <laughs> I'm going to try to unpack this together with you. And I'm really privileged. Joshua, thank you for letting me be the opening batsman in your series of Matthew, a book that they say is written to Jews. But you can read my mail. It's okay. So here are the five women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Miriam or Mary. Those are the five ladies. Do you see anything in the common among them? Let's see what we can do. All right, Tamar, she's first, and it's in Genesis chapter 38. And we've got to get there because it's a pretty remarkable scene. 
one that is raw, one that is biblically exposing, one that is maybe one you would think is in a Sidney Sheldon or Bryce Courtney book, but it would never be found in a holy book. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Genesis 38, especially after chapter 37, where, we're, where we meet the, my, my favorite Older Testament character, Joseph, who's a wonderful character. Now we meet his brother, Judah, and something that Judah does with Tamar. Buckle your seatbelt. Verse 1 of Genesis 38, it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers, visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her. She conceived and bore a son. That's how Bible moves things along quickly. Caesar takes her, they have a baby. And they call his name Ur. <laughs> Honey, what do you what what should we call the new boy? Er, yeah, that'll do. Okay. Then she conceived again, bore a son, and named him Onan. That's how quick it goes. Conceives, bears a son. If you know modern Hebrew, you're already embarrassed. And I'll tell you why in a moment. She bore still another son and named him Shelah, and it was at Chezib that she bore him. So my three sons, there they are, Fred McMurray's family. They are now part of Judah's mishpacha. Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. Tamar means erect or palm tree. There she is. She's a stately woman. She is chosen by the father-in-law for his Firstborn. Okay, that's how it works. But Ur, verse 7, Judah's firstborn was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. Yeah, that doesn't preach well in most churches. <laughs> yep, you do evil, goodbye. There goes Ur. Now, in those days, if you are a boy, you married to a girl, and you die, your brother takes your wife. And that's called the Leveret marriage. Has nothing to do with Levites or Leviticus or elevating. It's just the way it is. It's a brother-in-law thing. So verse 8, Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife. That doesn't mean stop in and have a cuppa. And perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her. And raise up seed or offspring for your brother. That's pretty clear. Go have sex with your sister-in-law and have a baby. Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so he went into his brother's wife. He wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give the offspring to his brother. If you missed that, talk to your friend next to you later. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, so God took his life also. The word onan in modern-day Hebrew means masturbate. How clear do you want it? Verse 11, so now we've got Ur who's dead, onan who's dead, and we've got one more child. Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up, because he thought, I'm afraid he too may die like his brother. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. Go to a holding place, 
It's still Judah's responsibility to have his sons take care of the new, uh, to, to take care of Tamar. It's not the father's job any longer. But he says, would you wait there? Because Shayla's obviously young. Wait till he grows up. The story continues. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But um, when Shayla grew up, it's not Sheila, not an Aussie woman from the bush. This is, this is uh, the third son. And he is now given, he should be given to Tamar, but the father Judah doesn't organize that. It says in verse 12, after a considerable time, she was daughter, the wife of Judah died. When the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to the sheep shears at Timnah. He and his friend Hira, the Adulamite, it was told to Tamar, hey, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah. So she removed her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, wrapped herself, sat in the gateway of Anayim, which is on the road to Timnah. And she saw that Shela had grown up, but she wasn't given him as a wife. She has no economic security. She has no political clout. She is going to be sidelined the rest of her life. So she's not happy. Verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a hooker. There it is. Why? She'd covered her face. That's what harlots did. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, here now, let me come in to you. He didn't know that was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that I may come to you? He said, I'll give you a young goat from the flock. She said, well, what are you going to give me as a down payment? Uh, what do you want? He said, and she said, how about your seal, your cord, and your staff that's in your hand? He says, no problem, gives it to her. When Judah sent, verse 20, the young goat by his friend the Adulamite to receive the pledge back, the down payment, those three items, when he said, I'd like to get that back, the, the Adulamite couldn't find her. He said, where's the temple prostitute? We don't have one of those here. Hmm. So verse 24, it came about three months later that Judah was informed, your daughter-in-law Tamar has played the harlot. He is incensed. How dare she? No family member of mine is going to act like that, said the righteous one. Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. End of verse 24. How are you feeling? Where do you see? What do you see in this story? But shame and embarrassment and wrong all over the place. It was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law saying, I'm pregnant by the man to whom these three things belong. And he got caught out. Oi, gewalt, he said. I'm in trouble. She he, sorry, Judah, verse 26, recognized them and said, she's more righteous than I. And we all say, duh. But listen to his confession. I didn't give her to my son, Shayla. That's not the worst of your crimes, buddy. He didn't have relations with her again. She had twins. That's where Perez and Zerah came from. They're in that list. They're announced in that genealogy. 
Tamar, righteous, not so righteous, kosher, not so kosher. Judah, oh my goodness, Judah, what's wrong with you? Whatever the scene is, however you're going to paint this for your friends in, when you're having soup, It's a little bit of something that we might want to sanitize and take out of our Bibles. Yeah, we don't want all that detail. TMI, you might cry to your seven-year-old, but what do you do with your 27-year-old mate? Let it be raw. Let it say what it says. Tamar is in that list. Who's next? Rahab, Joshua. Chapter 2, Rahab, anybody know what her occupation is listed in Older and Newer Testaments? Rahab the prostitute or harlot. Yeah, if she were in my genealogy, I might just give that a miss. Yeah, I'm from, you know, it was funny. My wife and I and three kids moved here in 98 from New York City. And I was amazed everywhere I would encounter people who boasted that they had relatives who were on First Fleet. Not as the British leaders, but as convicts. Yes, I, I have convict past. I mean, they were really proud of it. I might have left some of that out if I, I don't know. They were extremely proud. You might know my last name is Mendelssohn. And it's funny how many people ask me, are you related to Ben, the actor? And I think, I wonder if Ben gets this in Hollywood. Hey, Ben, are you related to Bob, the missionary? I just wonder. But in my line, of course, there's Felix Mendelssohn, the great composer, and Fanny, his sister, wonderful musicians of the early 19th century. And their grandfather was Moses, the son of Mendel of Dessau, Germany. In that line, the first Mendelssohn. That's pretty significant. I'd love to include them, but what about my uncle, who's uh, not so kosher? You know what I mean? Some you'd excise and some you would proclaim, I'm from that line, that kind of thing. But the Bible's pretty raw. Rahab the harlot is in the list of the genealogy of the Messiah. What are you hearing but grace? What are you seeing but grace? Rahab the harlot does something. She welcomes two spies who come from Joshua as he sends out to, so, to suss out what's going on in Jericho. Jericho is a pretty significant and fortified city, and Joshua wants to make sure that they can handle it. So he sends spies. They go upstairs into the harlot's house. Now, some say that she's an innkeeper, and maybe that is part of the activities of a harlot in those days. But the Hebrew and the Greek in both Joshua and in James is clear as clear can be. She's, she's a hooker. And she's in the genealogy. But in James, and this might bother some of you good dyed-in-the-wool Presbyterians, it says she was saved by her works of hiding those Jewish spies. Yeah, let the Bible speak. 
In Hebrews 11, she's of course listed in the Hall of Faith as well. Who's third? A little lady named Ruth. And you might know that story because you've read the Bible book called Ruth, just four chapters, pretty easy, pretty fun. And Boaz and the kinsman redeemer, and you might have conducted a, a youth class on that or learned that in Sunday school. Ruth was from what people? She was a Moabitess. And we know Moab, east of the Jordan River, it's those people, and you think, well, I don't know who they are, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, I don't know who they are. Well, let's back up a little bit and figure out who Ammon and Moab are. Ammon and Moab were sort of brothers. They were from the same father and the same grandfather who happened to be the same as their father. Yeah, you want to see some sick stuff? Read Genesis chapter 19, where Lot's two daughters get him drunk. Each has sex with him. Each, of course, conceives and bears a child, and one is called Ammon and the other called Moab. And that's where the Ammonites and Moabites come from. So in Deuteronomy, when it says, no Moabite or Ammonite shall stand in the tabernacle of the Lord, they're excluded. This makes sense if you're a a Jewish person of those 12 tribes. Ruth is from that family, from that incestuous lot and daughters moment. She's got her own troubles, Ruth, but she gets married to Boaz after her first husband dies, and she says, whither thou goest, I will go to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she joins the people of God. That's the conversion story in that book. Pretty significant, but her yichus, can I say that word, yichus? Her ancestry.com information, her yichus is pretty charred. <laughs> Who's fourth? Oh yeah, yeah, Bathsheba. This is in 2 Samuel verse chapters 11 and 12. This is when, I mean, she didn't do anything wrong. My goodness, she's just a good-looking woman living next door to the king's palace when King David was in charge. And he goes up onto his rooftop, and he's looking. I mean, the Judean hills there in Jerusalem are gorgeous. If you've been to Israel, great. If not... Why are you still here? Um, anyway, just go and enjoy. It's a phenomenal country when they let us travel. And there you go. You'll, you'll be there. You'll see this stun. And so there would be King David looking over the hills, saying, thank you, Lord, singing one of his psalms. And instead, he's looking downstairs at the house next door. And on the rooftop there is a sweet-looking chick who's sunbaking in the sun. And he's got his mind on other things besides, oh, thou Lord, thou art wonderful. He's, he's looking down instead of up. He invites, <laughs> he subpoenas Bathsheba to come over to his place and have an afternoon tea. And it turns out to be, and he had sex with her and she conceived and bore a son. That's how quick it goes in the Bible. 
Bathsheba's done nothing wrong except submit to the king. Oh, wait a minute. Bathsheba's married to a fellow named Uriah, who's not Jewish. In fact, he's from the Hittites. Those were one of the seven nations in Canaan that were supposed to be eradicated some 400 years before King David came on the scene. The Hittites were the bad guys, one of the seven nations. Well, Bathsheba marries him and they don't live happily ever after because King David finds out that she's now preggers. And so what does he do? He says, let's work out this deal. I'll invite Uriah back. Come on, have sex with your wife. It's within a reasonable season. And Uriah is more honorable than King David on so many levels. When a Gentile is more honorable than a Jew, that's a shanda. You can tell in context what that Yiddish word means. It's a shame on that Jew. Well, the Eche Omo, you are the man conversation happened that, uh, that occurs when King, sorry, when Nathan the prophet encounters his friend the king and King David cries out and repents of his sin. Bathsheba is pregnant and had the babies born. You know the story. And it is a pretty shameful season in Jewish life. King David kills Uriah by sending him to the front lines. He commits adultery. He commits murder. This is a shameful scene in the genealogy. You would include Bathsheba, the daughter of the oath. And finally, we get to Miriam. Some of you know her as Mary. And I don't know if you know the story. We read a little bit. She, somebody came up with this, I'm a virgin thing. You know, here you are in the little village of Nazareth. And, and the girl across the street, she's a teenager. And she's engaged to some older fella. And she comes up and says, yeah, I'm pregnant. And it was the Holy Spirit. And you think, who are you trying to kid? It's either Joseph, who's been, you know, <clears throat> coming to her. Or according to the rabbis in the Talmud and in popular conversation of today, a Roman soldier knocked up Mary. And then they came up with this virgin story and they found a Bible verse from Isaiah to justify it <laughs> a pregnant teenager in the neighborhood with some kind of fanciful story who are you trying to kid these five women all mothers all have a backstory that is less than conversationally allowed less than appropriate for proper people. You see what I mean? So why does Matthew record them? And nobody else. Luke doesn't. John doesn't. Paul, Mark. Why list them at all? I mean, there are plenty. And if you've got time, and you do, just take a look at all the other fellows in here. One of the brothers this morning prayed and made mention of Manasseh or 
what did he call him? Manasseh, um, who's in that list and some of his troubles as king. And there's a backstory on each of those people in the record of scripture. Have fun doing that. But I want you to look at Matthew chapter 21. There it is. This is the parable of two sons. It's only recorded, if I remember right, in Matthew itself, beginning at verse number 28. It says this. Yeshua was talking. By the way, you know why they call him Yeshua? Or you say Jesus? Remember what we read in Matthew 1? You shall call his name Yeshua, for he will Yasha. He will save his people from their sins. You won't call him Malamed, and he will teach. You won't call him Moreh, because he'll teach. You won't call him Navi, because he will prophesy. You'll call him Yeshua, because he'll Yasha, he'll save. That's his name, that's his gig, that's his ministry. I didn't say that in the morning service. See why you come at night, you get bonuses. This is good. Matthew 21, verse 28. And if you're watching at home or in jail or wherever you are, see, that's why you watch tonight's service, not this morning's. Are you recording this, by the way? And where will I be able to help people find this? Will it be on the church website? Reviewed. Oh, YouTube. And carefully edited, raw, great. I like it raw. I want the Bible to speak and I want us to deal with it. Don't make it your book, make you written in his book. All right, Matthew 21, 28. But what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he said, nah, I don't think so, pops. But afterward he regretted it and went. You have kids like that? Are you a kid like that? You know what I mean. The man came to the second son and said the same thing. And he answered, you betcha, pops, I'll do it. But he did not go. So which of the two did the will of his father? And you want to say, uh, duh, the first one, right? And they said the first, and Yeshua said to them, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him and you seeing this did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe him. Two occupations are merged in this thought. I'm sure when this was spoken, Matthew grabbed his journal and wrote it down. Tax collectors and prostitutes are linked. I am as bad as a prostitute. Remember, he's a tax collector. I am equally bad, but wait, he writes. God says I can get in on this. God says he can have mercy on me, that we're going to get in in spite of our occupation. You got to know, ATO <laughs> is not the first tax place despised by people. 
the IRS in the United States, same thing, and no doubt the tax office in Jerusalem in that era. Linked with prostitution, which is so base and so repulsive to a proper Orthodox Jew. And yet, tax collectors and prostitutes. So why does Matthew record them? Because each of those tainted five women could be leveled the charge of prostitute. And each of those five women, in spite of that, is listed in the genealogy of Yeshua because God's grace is greater than all our sin. And it's not only for prostitutes, it's for tax collectors and high school mathematics teachers and secretaries. I was a high school maths teacher. It's for anyone and everyone. It's for barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, male, female, Kiwis, Singaporeans, and everybody else. It's for all of us, amen? Isn't that good news for you? The grace of God not only comes to you, but you as a sinner saved by grace can turn and listen to this verb, grace others. You can grace others with the grace with which you've been graced. That's our God. That's, so it's not the one who said, no, nah, I'm not going to, but later does it. You could have said, look, I wasn't interested in God. And then one day you got interested in God because God opens your eyes. That's how it happened to me. That's how it happened to my grandmother, Bessie. That's how it happened to my uncle Reuben. That's how it happened to your friends and even to you, perhaps. You saw what you'd never seen before. God's grace came to you and you said, hallelujah, I take that on board. Now you turn and grace others with those same words of, yeah, you're right, you're a rotten sinner, or however you talk to your friends. Yeah, you've got troubles. Yeah, you need salvation. And God, in his mercy and grace, wants to extend it to you. So whether you're here in this sacred place, or you're at home, or in jail, or wherever you're watching this, you too can receive God's kindness and grace and then turn and grace others. Dear friends, as I read the book of Matthew, I am ever pondering how he felt, why he wanted to turn to his Jewish mates and quote Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse to help Jewish people get it. The book of Matthew written to Jews, but you get in on it. Isn't God good to let you in on it? I hope that you'll pick up that blue flyer called the Messianic Claims of Jesus. It's on the free side of the table out there. I hope that you'll uh, sign up for our newsletter. Some of you probably have already gone on to our website during the boring bits of my sermon. And you've signed up already, and you can do that. Jewsforjesus.org.au stroke giving. How easy is that? Or if you're here in the sanctuary, just take that white card. Go ahead and pull that out of the newsletter you received. Okay, pull that out, white card. Bend it back and forth on the perforation. If you're watching elsewhere, you can Google Jews, Jesus, and Australia, and it'll get right to our website. But here in the sanctuary, go ahead and bend it. Ready? Tear it. 
on the count of three. No, go ahead and tear it. You'll have a large card, which is for me, and the small card, which is for you. Large card, me, small card, you, all right? And if you fill that out and give it to me, you'll get our newsletter, whether in the email or in the post. We actually do print these, and we're happy to get those to people. Um, so that you can be encouraged about what God's doing among the Jewish people, not only here in Bondi and around the city and around Melbourne and Brisbane, but also in Israel and London and Johannesburg and New York. We want to tell you story after story because when you think about it, God gracing you and gracing Goldbergs and Cohens and Mendelssohns, he can probably grace your friends and neighbors and they're, they'll never get saved. <laughs> That's why we pray. That's why we trust God to open eyes. So fill out that large card. And as Joshua said, I've got some gifts and books and music and all kinds of things back there on the table. And if somebody will help me, we'll move it to where the soup is. Might as well do that. Um, but stop at the table after the service and I'll be glad to receive your card. And we use this. This is not a geometry class, although, yes, I taught that. This is a square. It's a tap-and-go machine. So you can use this for credit donations or for your purchasing of some goods. Don't forget your mother. It's next Sunday. I've got stuff. Don't miss this for my commercial moment. Don't miss what God wants to communicate to you. The Messiah was born through the likes of those women and those fellows. The genealogy, the yichus of Jesus is not so kosher, but the one who brought forth his son is so kosher. And he can make out of your messy life a holy son of God. That Luke 1, 35, that which comes forth from you, Mary, will be called the Son of God. I take that on board for myself. That which comes forth out of me, may it be the Son of God. Thank you, Joshua. Thank you, friends. Thank you, each one of you there at home and there here on the, in the pews upstairs and down. I hope you'll extend to me the privilege to speak to you again through the newsletter. So fill out that large card and give it to me. And I hope that you'll keep praying for Jewish people here in Sydney and beyond. Shalom.